It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the. And there's a. Now that's a follow up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow up question right there. If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. It's been nearly two months since Eric and I were on a podcast together, so it's it's good to be back, well overdue. And now it appears that we're creeping toward a football season that will actually happen. Uh, last week, Notre Dame shared its plan for bringing football players back to campus this month and the COVID-19 precautions that it will take. Uh, we thought this week would be a good time to catch up with someone who unfortunately knows a little bit about COVID-19, and that's David Lacey, the father of sophomore nose guard Jacob Lacey. David uh, contracted the virus back in March and has successfully recovered from it. So we wanted to talk to him a little bit about that and what it's like to be a parent of a college football player under these current circumstances. So, David, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, guys. Appreciate y'all inviting me. Absolutely. Well, I just I think the best place to start is just to check in on you, how you're doing and how the recovery process has gone for you in the last couple months. Well, the, the recovery process is a lot slower than I thought it would be, but today I'm the best I've been since I can remember. Uh, actually been on the road traveling today, but the process of, of what I went through in my lungs, uh, I'm literally just now in the last three or four days not having any ill effects in my lungs since March 14th. David, do you consider yourself immune now, or do you still do all the precautions that you would if you didn't know whether you were positive or not? That's a great question, Eric. I, uh, about two weeks ago, had my antibodies test, and I test positive for the IgD and even the IgM, which some people say will, would mean that I've got a new infection, but a lot of new studies, the Mayo Clinic actually show that you can have that for two to four months, and that would be... Um, you know, consistent with my uh, contracting positive with COVID back in March, March 14th. Um, so I've had doctors tell me, you know, you should be immune and you should be good, but that word should uh, still hold in, in the position that I was in before this, um, being in the hospital and as sick as I was. So I still um, carry my mask uh, going everywhere. I wash my hands. I have germ uh, stuff. So yeah, I still act like I'm, um, you know, can, can get it. But I, I am a little bit easier about it, a little bit. And, and just for the people that haven't followed your story closely, you were hospitalized for four days, correct? Correct. I, um, I contracted it March 14th. And my background is I, I have a degree in nursing. I have a bachelor's degree in nursing. I work uh, with a pharmaceutical company for the last 21 years. Um, I've worked all over the hospital, so I have a medical background. So I knew March 14th when I woke up. Uh, with the symptoms that I knew I had it back then. So um, uh, 
the first week was uh, I had a fever, low-grade fever of 99.8 to 100.4. Not 104, but 100.4. Uh, and I get that three or four times a day. I would take my Tylenol. Everything was fine. I mean, relatively. Um, by the end of that week, I was a little tired, but nothing too bad. I had a bad, hacky cough. And the weird symptom that I had was achy eyeballs. When I would rub my eyes, that I means you would feel that pain that was different than a sinus or anything like that. Then to fast forward, uh, so I went to the doctor that week. I said, they said I wasn't sick enough uh, to get a test because the testing was very limited. Um, then I went back uh, about three days later, got another, so I finally got a test. But it took back then seven or eight days to get a test. But in the meantime, uh, that next week, I got really sick. And then on March 30th, I woke up. Um, I've been sleeping in the basement, isolating myself. And I would get up to go up the stairs. And I took three steps, and I couldn't. My respirations, my heartbeat was probably about 150. Uh, taking three steps, I couldn't breathe. Uh, I knew I was in respiratory trouble. And I finally told my wife, let's go. I need to get back to the emergency room. And I'd been to the emergency room two times prior to that. Uh, mm -hmm. I went to emergency room uh, probably March 21st. Uh, took chest x-ray, said I wasn't sick enough. Uh, went again on March 27th, 28th, and I was a little bit more, and they were concerned, but they said still, I didn't meet the criteria. Then on the 30th, <laughs> I met the criteria. Oh. And it wasn't fun. And I can tell you more, but I don't, I don't want to know how much you want to. Uh, on, that, on that day, on the 30th, my wife took me in. Um, I couldn't breathe, like I said. I was on oxygen. Uh, the doctor looked at me and said, hey, uh, you know, I tell in the eyes because of my experience. I said, look, jokingly, is this something I need to call my family about, you know, get things together? And she said, uh, yeah, you might want to do that. And that's when I was like, uh-oh, okay? So... Uh, broke down for a minute, called my brother and said, hey, I need you to take care of my family. Uh, this doesn't go the way I think it may go. Uh, the second call, you may have heard this, is I, I called Coach Elston. And I said, Coach Elston, this is the reason why we chose Notre Dame and big reason we chose Notre Dame is because of you. You are family and I need you to make sure that Jacob graduates from Notre Dame. He's going to want, if this goes and I pass, and that's the words we use, uh, he's going to probably want to transfer and come back home to help his mother, but I want him to graduate from Notre Dame. And I'm going to put that on you. I'm sorry to put that weight on you right now, wow. but that's where I am. And the third call is I called a pastor of a church to say, can we use your church for my funeral? If that goes the way it goes. So I called my brother, called Coach Elston, and I called my pastor. Wow, that's, uh, that's I can't imagine having to go through that. Do you have any sense of... If you seem to you seem to be pretty um, aware that you might have it and were maybe taking some precautions, then do you feel like yeah. that helps you in the long run of, of maybe making sure that this didn't uh, make it worse? It didn't end up being worse for you. No, it wasn't going to be worse for me. It couldn't get any worse. But what it did was I prevented somebody from somebody else getting it. Sure. You know, my isolation early that saved some lives and it saved some people some situations. So. When I had to talk to the health department about the tracing, about who was I around, fortunately, the only person I was around was my family. Um, uh, and so, you know, I didn't have to call a bunch of different people and say, and I'm a very social individual, very social, mm -hmm. as you can tell. I don't talk to It's not a problem for me. Mm -hmm. and, um, <laughs> and I love my tailgating sessions. But anyway, 
um, yeah, so I, I, I isolated myself immediately in my house and then from, you know, any friends, the people knocking on the door wanting to come in to give me a hug. And I was like, even when I didn't have symptoms, symptoms, but I just knew I was not right. And I was like, no, uh, no, can't, can't give you a hug right now. Just stay outside. And they were calling me silly. Oh, you're silly. This is a, this is a hope. This is no big deal. And I told them after I got out of the hospital and I called her back and I said, aren't you glad that you listened to me and I listened to myself and I didn't let you come in and hug me? And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad about that too. So I think I read somewhere that you ended up taking or they gave you hydrochloroquine in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, I took the I was one uh, took the hydroxychloroquine, uh, and that was recommended by another physician. Uh, like I say, I work in in the hospital situation, so another physician who's a cardiologist, who was a friend of mine, he said you need to get on this. He said I'm looking at your X-rays, I'm looking at different things, and he's his bedside manner is not the greatest. He's a smart, very smart man, mm-hmm. but he's like I'm laying in the bed, oxygen, nervous. He said you got 48 hours to live. The way you're cascading, the way you're going, you need to be on oxygen hydroxychloroquine right now and so we had to get that straight with the physicians because the protocol was to wait 24 to 48 hours but I'm, I, I, this is what I think God stepped in that thing uh, God work in there you're sick no God worked a whole lot of things out if you've heard and read before and uh, I was healed and I think God healed me but he used physicians and medicines uh, to help me to get healed because I was going downhill fast and when I got on that hydroxychloroquine, and I know studies show it doesn't help everybody, and I would agree with that, but it helped me. David, I'm curious, what, what would you want people to know about the coronavirus and, and dealing with it um, that maybe from you having experience that you'd like to share with people that you, you want to emphasize to them, just that, just maybe whether it's awareness or what the, what the effects of it are? Uh, I know everybody's tired. And ready to get back in the economy, and I truly understand that. Um, but this virus is still real, and, and it's still here. And you know, we used to say in the military, in my in the medical side, that the Nile is not the Nile is not a river in Egypt. Um, and so we can just get back out there. But you're seeing the country areas are spiking. Texas is spiking back up. Uh, Florida is spiking back up in certain areas. So take it real. And all I mean is just wear your mask. Wear your mask and wash your hands. You know, go to the grocery store. Go to where you want to go. You go to a game. Hopefully we get to go to that. I'm just going to wear my mask. And that will alleviate a lot of issues, just wearing a mask and washing your hands. And then take care and love your family. I mean, you, tomorrow's not promised. I'm going to buy me a Jeep or something if I can. I don't know. because I, I don't know. I've been wanting a big Jeep. And I may go get one. I'm trying to talk to my wife, but she's she thinks I'm fine now, so it's no excuse. So I think I think you deserve one after everything. I think so. I'm I'm gonna tell her when she gets over here. I'm gonna tell her. <laughs> so so how did Jacob process all of this? Yeah, Jacob is not a big talker. Okay, and you know we get four grunts uh, for yes and three grunts for no. Um, <laughs> but I, what really showed me about my family is they're a lot stronger than I thought. You know, as a father. You know, I'm always, I'm still Papa Bear, and I take care of my son. He, he's bigger than me and all of that. I have two boys, like I said, I have one graduating from West Point uh, Saturday of, of this week, you know, January 12th. And, and, um, and then I have Jacob there at Notre Dame. And uh, we talked. Uh, and he's a pr- he, he said, Dad, I've been praying for you. 
he wrote things down uh, that I didn't know he could write at those English classes at Notre Dame have been <laughs> awesome. I mean, he had commas and semicolons and things in right places. I'm like, what? Who is this? But the way he processed it is he just lets me know he loves me. He cracks jokes. He calls me Big Head and Head. He said, hey, Head. He just called me Big Head. That's what he does. He's a jokester. Uh, but when he looked at me and he hugged me and he, he said, love you, Dad, that was his way of saying, glad to see you. Sure. Now, I, I really appreciate you sharing that story with us. I'm sure you've had to tell various versions of that to lots of people. And I, and I don't mind because it helps save somebody's lives. I, you know, I went through it for a reason. I believe that. Sure. I, I'm curious, while you're speaking of Jacob, um, I'm curious from the parent standpoint, how, how have you processed what Notre Dame's plan is for its football players? And how have you felt that Notre Dame has communicated that information to you guys? And have they helped ease your mind at how things are going to be handled? You know, I'll be on, I'm going to be honest with you. Back in March when this first happened and I got out of the hospital, I was very concerned about how uh, Jacob and Bryson were going to, you know, school and everything. So. To get back to football back in April, because uh, we, did, you know, nobody had a timeline. I was very concerned because I'm, I'm just coming out of the hospital. I almost possibly died, so I was not as cavalier as some I, I may have been if I hadn't. But I'm gonna be very honest with you. I, I've listened. I, you know, Notre Dame has been very transparent about how they were going to go about this process. We were given emails and texts and different things as parents of the team. Uh, they kept us abreast all the way through. I even heard some of the calls with Bryson would be on with, uh, I mean, Jacob, excuse me, uh, with football, and they were meticulous. And, I, I, you know, compared to some other football teams that I've heard, they really were concerned about these players and the staff and the coaches, because this is a big money thing. I mean, let's not, let's not play dumb here. This is a big money thing. But I really believe Notre Dame, and I'm not drinking the green Kool-Aid on this, was really concerned about, you know, our players. And they still are. Um, Coach Kelly, I've heard, you know, different, uh, you know, interviews through him. And I believe they're sincere because if they wanted to just push it like some other teams I won't name down south. But um, I I feel much more uh, comfortable. Um, You know, it's never going to go away 100%. But when mama is comfortable about the fact that what they're doing, you know, with the uh, quarantine and the isolation and the testing and, you know, how they're doing that process. And, you know, if you're flying in, you're going to be on this day. If you're driving in, it's going to be on this day. Um, I feel much more like they're, they're sincere. Um, and I could talk to somebody if I wasn't like Rob Hunt or anybody, I could talk to them and go to them or coach Elston and my concerns would be heard. But, I really feel as about as comfortable as you can in this environment. Um, Jacob, you know, is he there yet? No, no, he's leaving, uh, I think, Saturday. Okay. And do you think he has reservations about what no. he had? No, I wish he did. I wish I wish he did have some reservations. The dude is ready to, ready to go. He, he works out every day. Um, and he's just ready to get around. He's, I mean, he's a little bummed about being in a room by himself. I mean, the room that they had, I would kill to have. I mean, they, they, they you guys know, they're, they're not going to be suffering. Um, versus like my son up at West Point, they, look, yeah, they got a slice of ham and a piece of cheese and a, and a cracker. And these guys are getting served, you know, whatever I won't say, but they're, they're doing well, steak and all that good stuff. 
So he's ready to go. And uh, I think he's a little bit more, um, especially when this first happened, he was ready to go. He understands the, the testing and the, the issues uh, based on what I've gone through. But, you know, they're indestructible. He's a nose tackle, defensive tackle. He, he's indestructible in his mind. I've got a follow-up. I don't know if he marched at all, but as you watched the marches on TV, there's this maybe life-changing movement going on, and I'm, I'm right. sure it's generational, and yet you're in the middle of a pandemic, and I wonder how you – what kind of went through your mind, how those circus, circuits connected for you? Man, that's a great question because I am uh, I'm, I'm – I'm I've been a youth minister for 25, 30 years. I've been an associate pastor and a minister, um, and I would be out there. But because of what I've gone through, um, and that's probably given me a little bit more hindrance to, to jump out there like I do. When I look at those marches, and I'm so happy to see the diversity in the marches, Glad to see that they're doing the peaceful marches and protests. But I promise you, all I see a lot of times are the mask. I'm looking and I'm praying that we don't have another spike. I mean, I see the guys with their mask over their mouth, but not over their noses. I see the people with their mask off and it's so close. And I, I, my focus is, I, mean, I just hope. And, you know, African-Americans, we, unfortunately, we're, we're, we're getting affected a little bit differently as far as the numbers. Um, so, you know, that's a concern and I've got friends that are out there, uh, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, they're out there marching and I would be, and it, it bothered me at first, but, um, I, I'm doing my thing from a, from a distance, um, and I'm supporting them monetarily or through prayer, uh, best I can. But Eric, that's a great question. I, I am, I, I would be very concerned. Uh, uh, on that topic, uh, David, uh, how do you feel like Notre Dame has sort of handled its outreach against uh, and, and making its stance clear against racism and social injustice and um, putting together some things Brian Kelly talked about the other day um, within the program to help uh, its players out and, and everyone within the program to, to be able to take a stance and, and help each other kind of sort of eradicate these injustices and, and racism? Well, you know, Notre Dame has a history of uh, – civil rights support um, with Martin Luther King. They were one of the first to support him openly as a Catholic school and, a, you know, a white ministry. I hate to use that word like that. But so I'm not surprised that Coach Kelly came out early um, and he spoke to it not in a, non, in a non-generic way. He, he spoke to it directly. You know, I've heard some other football coaches, uh, again, won't say any names, but I, I love orange juice. <laughs> um, take what you want from there. And they're very generic and they're very tone deaf. Um, coach Kelly has not been tone deaf. They, coach Elston and those guys, they have meetings. They had two or three meetings that I know of, of, um, talking about, um, you know, the, the, the situation. And even I think, uh, Hainsey, the, he's a captain. I think yeah. he came out and he spoke directly to it as a captain. So I'm very, um, satisfied with the response of, of, of Coach Kelly and the staff and the players, and I'm not surprised. That's why we picked it. I wanted to circle back to one more thing with the sure, players. Please do. How, how well do you know Matt and Lakeisha Jones, uh, Jameer's dad? I, I know him, but not, not great. No, okay. I don't know him great. 
because Matt was in the hospital for 47 days with the virus. Wow. wow. He just got home maybe a week ago. No, I may have to give him a call. Okay. I've met him. I mean, he, I know him. He knows me. But um, I didn't know that. Didn't know that. With, with Jacob home with the online classes and stuff, and um, I don't know if he was doing the resistance bands or if he had access. To yeah. Them. Okay. So, yeah. so his development as a football player, his academic development, how do you think that fared during the end of the spring semester? Um, in some ways, I think it was a blessing, uh, believe it or not. Uh, as far as academically, uh, it seemed like he almost had more focus. He had a little bit more focus to, to with his academics because of less meetings and you know the rigors that uh, 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 a Notre Dame football player has to go through. So he's able to do that. Like I say, I was teasing earlier. He wrote me a letter, and I was just impressed from the difference from his senior year in high school to uh, now how he his writing skills have improved. So he's done that, and then, and as a football. Um, he had a friend, you, you may have heard of D1. It's a, a, a sports complex. So they let him have the key. We were good friends with him, and he would go there and work out by himself. So he had weights and the floor and the, the tapes and everything. And then every once in a while, when that was shut down and too many people in there, we had the bands. We had neighbors, because I was in the hospital, we had a neighbor bring over bench press, dumbbells from 90 to 45, uh, he had an incline bench, and they put that in the garage. And you would see him with the uh, with the the uh, the bar, and he's doing all his steps. He's doing everything that he could do um, uh, that he's supposed to do and more. So I'm, I, I think in in some ways it was a blessing, um, especially academically. Um, but uh, yeah, I think he, he's developed. Of course, it's not nothing to place. Um, um, I'm having a brain cramp. Um, Matt Bailey. Man, excuse me. I don't know how I forgot it. That's probably still left over from the corona. But uh, Bayless, nothing is going to be Coach Bayless. That's the man. My wife loves that man a little bit too much. But anyway, she loves that man. Yeah. Uh, David, last one for me. You mentioned earlier uh, Jacob doesn't like to talk to, talk a lot. You get a lot of grunts from him and stuff like that. But are you going to be – Checking in with him more often now, like when he's on campus, to make their, make sure things are going all right, just because of the situation. Yeah, I, I will um, just continue to do what we've been doing. He does now. He's articulate and talk. You know, like I say, everybody else says he talks all the time, but at <laughs> home we don't we don't hear anything. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, he did make some comments on Instagram about the protest and the George Floyd, which I was very proud about. Uh, he's got a lot going on in his mind that he articulated through a letter, as it said to me. But we will check. His mother will not allow us not to <laughs> check in. We need to check in less. That's what I've been working on. Not more. <laughs> we need to check in less. But that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. I've got two more. One is, um, sure. will you, will your family travel to South Bend to see games, do you think, this year? Um, my mom and dad probably not. Uh, and I wouldn't be comfortable. My dad, mom and dad are 78, but they're spry. They, they do well. They walk two, three miles a day and doing everything. But like I say, I haven't seen my family since March, my parents, because they're, they're vulnerable. Uh, that, that population, that demographic is much more vulnerable. And I just don't feel comfortable with them going. And I don't think they do either. So I, I don't think they will. Uh, do I, I have a brother? He will. Uh, my wife, she will. Um, 
but like my parents who would come, that we're not gonna let them come. And not that I'm not gonna let them come, but they they're not coming. <laughs> I felt like my mom heard me. Well, you never tell me what anyway. Um, but my wife and I will be there um, with the mask on and social distancing, hopefully, and following the rules. Uh, from what I'm hearing, and I, I mean I don't know any more than you guys do. You probably you know a lot more than I do, but you know um, there's an opportunity now. Uh, by that time, I, I would feel comfortable there at Notre Dame. Finally, this is a football question, and I won't tell you who, who told me this, but somebody I really <laughs> respect told me when Jacob enrolled that he was the best, from a talent standpoint, the best, not maturity yet, but talent right. standpoint, the best interior defensive lineman on campus. That's awesome. That's okay. Awesome. Now, yes, do you think he realizes that? Do you think he no. Man, no, and that's what he is hungry. You know, that kid has just had it in him since birth. Um, he was seven weeks premature, and he's just trying to prove it ever since. Um, <laughs> he just has his work ethic. Uh, he just wants it, and he doesn't want to hear that stuff. He said, I don't want to hear that because I don't even want to think about getting comfortable. I mean, he would, I would tell him, you know, Twitter, I'm like, send that, send that, he delete it. I don't need to see that, Dad. That's right. I'm, I'm at the bottom, and I, I'm trying to get to the, the top. And that's truly his attitude. I said, you can rest a little bit, enjoy a little bit of this ranking. No, uh, no, no, I'm not. He, he is um, – no, he does not. He, he knows he doesn't suck. <laughs> he knows that. But to, for him to think that he is the talent that he's had all his life, uh, no. No, he doesn't. And uh, I think that's what makes him who he is. All right, David. Well, we appreciate you joining us. I re really appreciate you sharing your story with us. I'm glad to glad to know that you're doing well and continue to be healthy. And uh, be uh, best wishes moving forward. Thank you very much. You you two guys are great at what you're doing, um, and I really appreciate everything. You made it real easy uh, to talk, and I appreciate it. And, and go Irish. Now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First question we have is from Andrew Callen at ACallen1. Are the 14 or however many remaining spring practices just gone, or is there any talk of teams getting to add to their summer preseason practice limits? They're, they're gone, and, and they have to kind of forget that. The uh, NCAA Oversight Committee – on Thursday did kind of put the finishing touches on things. I'm not sure how public the reveal was, but Yahoo got a hold of the plan. And it's basically what had been reported earlier that you're basically going to have two years of two, two years, two, <laughs> I wish two weeks of walkthroughs and conditioning, just straight conditioning. Right. And then four weeks of conventional training camp, which I still think is going to be cardio heavy. Uh, just to make sure everybody's back. These voluntary workouts will help. But whether you got in zero or all 15, they're not going to try to equal that up. It's just too difficult. Yeah, I mean, I see the validity in that argument, but, yeah, it's just too hard with the constraints that they have and to make sure that was all um, set up. And just there's not enough time, really, to add another 14 practices for Notre Dame to do that. It's also expensive. I, I read today that Texas – estimated it's costing over a million dollars to bring the guys back to campus between testing and the extra sanitization and so forth. 
So if you added even more time onto that, you're also looking at a huge expense. Right. Uh, we got another question from Andrew Callen. Uh, are we optimistic that ND attracting driven, disciplined guys means the team will thrive relative to others after months without in-person workouts? Or do we worry how an accelerated academic calendar will impact ND versus teams that were already big on online classes pre-COVID-19? I'm going to pull a Brian Kelly here and answer that question indirectly because I don't think it's either or. I think right. it's that they have really good leadership on this team, that they had really a really good plan. They had great communication, great structure, and I think all those things are going to help. I also think the fact that there's no dramatic scheme changes, that's going to help as well. I think those things are much bigger factors than, you know, what the real kind of guys or whatever they call that with the Brian Kelly <laughs> right, thing. Right kind of guys. Right kind of guys or <laughs> real kind of guys. Those are the guys I want is the real kind of guys. <laughs> the real ones. And, and the whole online thing, you know, I, I don't think that's – that was – that's not going to make a factor. I think it's an interesting – question you posed, but I think the factors I listed are the ones that will actually, and they will be advantageous to Notre Dame. Yeah. I, and I think one other thing, like, yeah, I think it's important and certainly Notre Dame attracts guys that want to, to push themselves and are going to challenge themselves. But there's like, there's guys like that at other schools. I mean, we, we can't be, we can't be naive to that. Um, I, I think the one thing that is legitimate and there, I don't know if there's a way to quantify it is that, there, there are programs that maybe have more kids that aren't from as fortunate of backgrounds and have family wealth or friend connections that put them in successful positions to be quarantined at home, eat healthy, have access to workout equipment. I think Notre Dame has a, a pretty high percentage of players on its team that, that, that would qualify for to have access to that and be – I don't know that Notre Dame was necessarily worried about – kids not being safe by sending them back home. I don't know that Notre Dame's roster is filled with a ton of players like that. I think there might be other schools that have uh, have some of those concerns. And so I think maybe Notre Dame might have some kids that maybe would come back a little bit healthier than some other schools, but I don't know that it's going to make a, a vast difference. I think the, the academic calendar is going to be strange for everyone. Um, and I, I think Notre Dame players are used to having the challenges during the season. So, I mean – Brian Kelly sort of explained that in August, he's not really sure what the team's going to be like in terms of how much they can handle in terms of installing the offense. And he's going to have to get a better sense of how missing the spring has impacted that. I think that's an important thing to monitor. But like I said, I think that's the same for everyone else. So it's, I don't know that it, that Notre Dame will have a, a big differ, a diff, different scenario and a better way of handling it on those fronts. I think the ones that you mentioned um, are probably some of the areas that, that Notre Dame can rely on. Um, I, I don't know that it relies on specifically the kind of players that Notre Dame attracts. Right. They don't. They also don't have a quarterback competition, and there's really only a couple position groups where you're going, like there's a lot of question marks here. Right, you know, yeah. a lot, there's a lot. You got a third year starting quarterback, entire offensive lineback. So there's there's a lot to like. Next question is from Winpant Presley. In your opinion, how much of an effect will COVID-19 have on the 2020 season of college football by having asymptomatic players miss two games every time someone tests positive? If I could predict this, I should <laughs> be able to, you know, go to Las Vegas and make a lot of money because I, 
I mean, there's no point of reference here. And, and one of the things that we haven't drilled down on yet is things like, let's say it's right before the Clemson game. Does Notre Dame quarantine Ian Book that week or quarantine certain players right. before a big game? We don't know how teams will strategize. You know, certainly teams with depth are going to to do well with this, but we don't know we don't know how many positive tests we're going to get during the season. It's just wow, it's such a kind of Rubik's cube of questions, and I had never solved a Rubik's cube, so <laughs> I'll, I'll defer to Tyler. Me either, me either. I, I, I was a big math kid growing up, but Rubik's cube was never on my list, but. Uh, I, I do think it's going to be hard, and this isn't another name specific. It's going to be hard to keep college kids isolating during an entire college football season and not interacting with people outside of school, um, whether that's at, at restaurants or at bars or um, at, at house parties. That, that's that's going to happen. I don't know that they're going to be able to to avoid that. I, I, and they're not going to stay the whole semester away from their girlfriends. Right. Yeah. And it, I mean. I, I, they will be risking their sanity. Now, certainly risking their health is, is, is important too, but I think they would be risking their sanity at some point too of, of all the things that they have to do um, to be able to play football every Saturday. Um, I think they, they deserve to be have, have some time to themselves and how they – obviously they need to be responsible with how they, they use that time, but um, it's, it's, it's so unknown of how it's going to work. And I think – I don't even know if we know for sure how the protocol will work of, okay, if someone tests positive – they're not going to necessarily – it seems like they're not necessarily going to mean – that doesn't mean the whole team can't play the next week or whatever. They probably will just test everyone and see to make sure that um, it hasn't spread beyond that. Right. We, we should point out they are committed to testing weekly, everybody weekly. So, I, it, it's just – I think everyone is going to have to play it by ear. I think it seems that most people in college football are very committed to making this happen – um, but there's certain things that are, are they're going to have to prepare for and probably things that will happen that they maybe didn't have a total, totally fleshed out plan for and they'll just be, play it as it goes. Next question we have is from Jude at NDJRS. Is Isaiah Robertson still on the team? He's not listed on either roster published at UND.com. Well, Isaiah wasn't on the roster the very first day of spring practice and throughout – spring practice since there weren't any others. Yeah, that's all those I, I remember asking Brian Kelly that question myself. He said he had some academic things to attend to. It wasn't a guarantee that he would be back on the roster ever, but uh, they were going to leave him out off the roster and let him focus on that for the spring. Now, you know, you still have the math problem of uh, uh, 90 scholarship players right now with having to get to 85 by August 10th, the first day of classes. And so when you start doing that math, you would figure that Isaiah's spot wouldn't be one of those that you would count on necessarily being on the roster in the fall, but we don't know that. You know, we've had limited access to Brian Kelly. There's been so many other big picture questions. I think we next time we talk to him, we can drill down a little bit on those things. I think that's certainly something I would ask him about in terms of who's not back. And again, players are arriving uh, between they start coming back Monday and they have until next Wednesday uh, to come back. So we'll have, we'll know everybody's spring grades. We'll know where everybody is medically and we'll know who wants to jump into the transfer portal. 
Yeah, the, the next question was from Frank Sarah. Uh, same kind of idea. Did any players not check in and will transfer? And, and the answer is that they, they haven't. The, the, the check in window isn't over yet, so we, we, we can't we can't say that yet. Um, I, I'm interested to see what happens if um, there are guys that still are on the team that aren't comfortable with checking in. I, I don't know if that's how that's going to work out. I I, I, would, I think it, would, it wouldn't. I've asked it a couple times to, or I've asked it to. Ron Paulus, the AD that's over football, and somebody asked Brian Kelly during our last Zoom. Paulus was a little bit danced around it a little bit more, but he gave me the impression that they expected everybody to be there and that they've alleviated concerns. Right. And again, if somebody doesn't want to be there, they are not going to have their scholarship pulled, you know, if they're not comfortable being there yet. So, right. uh, but Brian was asked that this past week. And he, his expectation was the COVID-19 wasn't going to be the reason somebody wasn't there. All right. Next question or questions. Adam Luce at ACO Luce. Um, he asked us three different questions. So I'll, I'll take them one at a time. Who do you think will emerge in the backfield? Well, I think it's going to be a number of guys. Uh, so I wouldn't say that there's any one. Jafar Armstrong is the logical pick here because they've projected him as a number one back. Um, I, I'm going to throw Trevor Spates in there because there's no way they add him to the roster if they think he's a third string type back. You know, it, it seems like they already have guys like that. Um, I'm going to throw Chris Tyree in there, not that he'd start, but I think if he's as good as they thought he was when they put it at the top of their board, he's got to play. He's got to make some kind of impact in a rotational role. And I throw Kyron Williams in as the wild card, but, but I would say Jafar Armstrong is the guy that is the running back to beat. Yeah, I agree on Jafar. Um, I haven't sold all my shares on, J on Jafar Armstrong quite yet after the disappointing last season, but beyond Jafar, I, I have no idea. I, I, Trevor Spates, who knows? Um, it, it doesn't make sense if they brought him in and he can't contribute um, necessarily. Although that has uh, happened to them before with Greg. Yeah, and it, sure. And so I, I'm, I'm going to wait and see. I, I think I, I like Kyron Williams. You mentioned Kyron. I, I do like him. I think he's a guy that could compete, although the last year was very strange in that the Louisville game, I think he played one play and did something wrong and then didn't get back in. So um, that would seem to – indicate that Lance Taylor um, doesn't necessarily have patience for guys that aren't doing things the way he wants them to do them. So and that may have been a chip long thing too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, sure. That's true. I, I shouldn't necessarily assume that that was Lance's decision, but um, I, I think that, um, who, so who knows? I, I will talk a little bit more about Chris Tyree later. I'm, I still want to see more before I am totally convinced on that. Um, but yeah, I think the running back the way the running back situation pans out is, is one of the biggest questions to me going into the season. I imagine I'm not alone in that, in that observation. Number two uh, from Adam Luce was, would Mike Elston be a good defensive coordinator? I think he'd be outstanding. We got to see that in the last two thirds of the 2016 season. And if you isolate those games by themselves, Notre Dame's numbers were outstanding. Now that was the season where Brian Van Gorder was the defensive coordinator for the first four. And then Brian Kelly kind of had smoke and mirrors in terms of 
who he tried to project as the interim defensive coordinator. But Mike Elston was calling the plays. Charlie Weiss even called me up and said, Eric, it's Mike Elston that's calling the plays. I was watching. I was reading his lips. Uh, so, uh, but I think he'd be outstanding. I actually think he'd be a very good head coach. Um, his, I think the reason it hasn't happened for him yet, when Van Gorder left, Brian Kelly could not hire Elston. There was no way because it would look like he was promoting somebody that didn't deserve it because the big narrative then was, you know, they need more outside blood to come in. Elston was an exception. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same thing that Jeff Quinn's dealing with, that if Elston had a bad season or two, people would want him out. Right. And- kind of what Jeff Quinn is going dealing with because he had pre- previous relationships with Brian Kelly. Um, now, obviously, Jeff Quinn is replacing a much better offensive line coach in Harry Heastand than Mike Elston would have been replacing in Brian Van Gorder. Um, but there, there, I think that is, that is a real thing, a real um, – that Brian Kelly was concerned about, especially after the 2016 season because they needed to bring in all kinds of new blood. Uh, and then the, the third question – that uh, Adam Luce had was which of the redshirt freshman linebackers are you most excited for? So there's four by my count, including the Rovers. Uh, I have J.D. Bertrand, Asita Okwanu, Maris Lufau, and Jack Kaiser. Maris Lufau excites me the most. All four of those guys are really intriguing, but I think Maris Lufau is the big dark horse talent on this defense. Yeah, in terms of making an impact this season, I think Maris is at the top of the list for me. Uh, I'm still long-term very intrigued by Osita Aquanu and what he can do. He's just a very impressive athletic specimen. Um, I don't know. He didn't seem to get very close to playing uh, uh, last season, but um, where is he at in his development? Um, Where does he best project at in terms of positions across the the linebackers' positions? So um, I think those two guys – um, and I, and I, I like J.D. Bertrand and Jack Kaiser as well, but I think those are the two guys that I'm the most excited about. Uh, next question is from Joe at Joey Salvatore. How do you guys see ND using a back like Spates, given, especially given what we have coming back on the offensive line? Do you think someone will win the job, or will it be more running back by committee this season? I think it, it will be running back by committee most seasons. I think that's how most teams are built th- these days. Right. Um, it's just how how much the head of the committee gets to to dominate the carries. But I think you're. Or if, or if he has a Heisman campaign supporting him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hats, yes. uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but I think uh, certainly um, they would not have added a headache, a roster headache to have to shave another spot off at this juncture if they didn't think that there was a lot of potential. He was a prolific high school running back in Texas against good competition. And I guess the hope always is that you can kind of recapture that guy, that the injuries will finally, you know, not vex him and he turns into that player. And Unfortunately for Notre Dame, with most of their grad transfers, that that hadn't happened, uh, except with Cody Riggs. Cody Riggs wasn't an oft-injured guy, but he had an injury at Florida, and he he ended up being a starter and a pretty darn good player. Yeah, I think 
the fact that they bring Trevor Spates in is an indication that they want to have some sort of committee because, and that they don't necessarily feel great about the committee that they have already. Um, I don't know that I totally buy it. I, 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 I've, have very little to go off of it. It's just very surprising um, to me. Um, but it, it makes sense. The connection to Lance Taylor, Lance, if, if anyone knows what Trevor Space can do, you would think it would be Lance Taylor. So um, they're giving him the benefit of the doubt there. And we'll see if, if Trevor Spates can sort of find uh, his potential at Notre Dame that he didn't necessarily find at Stanford while he was behind good running backs to give him credit. I mean, he, when he was a freshman, Christian McCaffrey was there. And then the next two seasons, he was behind Bryce Love. So it's not like he was sitting behind slouches. Um, he, he was uh, stuck behind some talented running backs. The next question is from Josh Melton at Joshua Melton. What is your best guess on Chris Tyree? As in, do you see him having a role on the team as a freshman? Five carries a game, 10. Any chance he becomes a home run threat right away after COVID? Well, you know, I had a chance to talk to him before he – came to school this summer and he's an impressive guy. He's very confident and he also hears all the doubts about him and he's eating it up. Ones that I say. (laughs) Yeah. So he is, you know, it it was interesting because um, I was talking to Reggie Brooks about him and Reggie goes, you know, he's the same size I was when I came to Notre Dame. Reggie played cornerback a year and then flipped over to running back. Um, became an All-American, um, and Reggie's a big dude now. I mean, you you know, I, I don't remember him as that small of a back, but, I mean, that was a long time ago. Right. But, I mean, 190 is that that small. You know, when you see him standing next to the guys that were in the All-American Bowl in San Antonio, he does look tiny, uh, but yeah. he is super fast, and Notre Dame has, I think, will find a way to use that, whether it's, five carries as a running back, whether it's a slot receiver, whether it's a return guy, I think he's going to impact the season. Is he going to be, I think he's going to impact this season about what Braden Lindsay impacted last season. I think that's, I think, I think that would be a welcomed uh, addition to the offense. I, I'm still withholding judgment. It's nothing new. I mean, I, I, I need to see him practice and what he looks like on a college field because yeah, like you mentioned, what he, what he looked like at the Under Armour all America uh, game, he didn't. I mean, he didn't stand out to me, and that's fine. You don't necessarily have to. It's. I mean, there's there's a lot of big and good players at those games, um, but I, I just. The, 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 the one he told me about that, and he wasn't making excuses. I mean, he had had a really bad um, high ankle sprain all season, and he did not have it at the All American game. But he said he was just starting to recondition himself. Sure. He said it wasn't the ankle. He said he was winded. He wasn't in shape. Yeah, right. Yeah. The 190, to me, I don't really care what the, the weight number says. It's more of like a, what you look like, how do you carry yourself? Um, and just, I haven't seen it yet that will give me confidence. Now I could go see one practice in August and that, that could totally wipe my uh, doubts away just because I know how fast he is. And that, that is going to be very important and how elusive he is. Um, but I still think, yeah, I think, until I see that, I'm going to anticipate a, a minimal impact, maybe a five players plays a game, maybe maybe not quite as much as what Braden Lindsay did last year. But I think he can, but I'm just not willing to fall in love with the idea of him being an immediate threat until I see a little bit more. And that's not to say that his career won't pan out great. I, I just think right away I'm just not sure that he necessarily uh, translates uh, into a, an instant impact. 
Next question is from Brendan at Very Piratey. If you could carefully pluck, pluck one non-Trevor Lawrence player from opponents roster from an opponent's roster and put him on Notre Dame's, who would it be and why? For me, there it really comes down to two. Justin Ross would have been in that conversation had he been healthy. And you could throw Sage Surratt from Wake Forest, but I think where Notre Dame needs the most help is running back and cornerback. And I think two of those, two of the best players they face are at those positions. So my first runner-up would be Paulson Adebo from Stanford at corner, who was actually committed to Notre Dame at one right, point. Yeah. But the guy that I would pick is Travis Etienne, because not only do you add him to your team, you take him off of Clemson's team. Sure, yeah. I, I had the same two as my top two, but the order was reversed. I, I went with Paulson over uh, uh, Etienne. Um, I just think that he is – Paulson Adebo is really good – it makes the whole cornerback position group better for Notre Dame because what he does is, is kind of what they lack. They have a, a big guy that can deflect passes. They don't really have a guy in that mold. That's part of what they brought Nick McLeod in to do potentially. But I just think it would bring the whole group up. Now, certainly you could say the same thing about Travis Etienne at running back. Um, I just think that Notre Dame can find a way to have production at the running back, although I think it's still a big question. Um, I would just – I think he's the best running back. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's I think that's that's fair. And then just to throw a third name out there, um, a defensive lineman from USC, Jay Tufele. Um, he's very good uh, defensive tackle. Um, I, I think the fighting words to David Lacey now. <laughs> I think uh, I think the interior Notre Dame's defensive line is good and has the potential to be really good this year. Um, but Jay is a definite difference maker. Um, and certainly anytime you can add more difference makers to the defensive line and when you're going to rotate guys in, I think you always have room for those kind of guys. So that, that isn't necessarily a position that I see as like a weakness, whereas when we're talking about cornerback and running back, we're trying to fill holes that Notre Dame has. But I think Jay Tufele is a really good player that I'm sure Notre Dame would love to have on his team. Next question is from Jack Quinn at JQ6008. And this is a question that Jack asked uh, on a podcast that Carter and I hosted um, and I said that you would have better insight on, on than me, so he asked it again. How could of an option quarterback could Arnaz Battle have been in the Kevin Rogers-Urban Meyer system? Well, he actually was an option quarterback in their system for a while. Um, he came in when Urban was there and Kevin wasn't. Jim Coletta was offensive coordinator. Then his sophomore year, it was Rogers and uh, Urban Meyer. And he was back up to Jarius Jackson. And then his junior year, he was the starter, if you remember, at the beginning of the season. And he ended up suffering an injury. And so Notre Dame kind of scrambled, tried Gary Godsey, a tight end there, and they ended up settling on Matt Lavecchio, a true freshman. And then when Arnez came back the next season, they moved him to wide receiver. Uh, and Car strangely, Carlisle Holiday became the <laughs> quarterback then, but um, I think he could have been outstanding. The one thing he didn't show well with was his passing. Uh, I remember talking to Mike Sanford Sr., who was the quarterback's coach mm -hmm. during when Arnez was a, a young player before Kevin Rogers came aboard, yeah. and he thought that was going to come around for Arnez, that he was going to end up, but he wasn't, you know, in the games where he saw 
uh, mop-up duty or in those first couple games of 2000, he he was below 50% passer. So, but yeah, I think I think he was outstanding. He would have been out, outstanding at it. Well, I'm sure Jackie will be glad to hear that because I think that's what he was looking for when he asked Carter and I that. And we're like, well, we know a little bit about it, but Eric knows way more than we do on that. So um, the next question is from at IrishFan102. Does the ND administration actively monitor premium websites? Have you ever suspected that university slash football employees have purchased a subscription? What about national media members looking for a scoop or opposing programs? Um, I wouldn't call it the administration that's monitoring those. Uh, I would say it's the sports information department. And I don't know that they are hyper vigilant with it, but if somebody, I think they're very aware when somebody tips them off to something that they think they should see, they get on there, they will look at the premium message boards or look at a premium story. You know, our premium content, um, is, is different. I, I don't know that it's um, because we don't have a message board. Right. Um, yeah. We, I mean, we don't put stuff behind like the paywall to hide it from people. That's not like the, the yeah. like, it's not like we make it a premium story because we don't want a coach to read it or an opponent to read it. Um, we're just trying to, to make money off of our content and to be able to do our jobs. Um, right. So we're not furloughed. once. <laughs> so we, so we, so, I mean, in my opinion, like when we put, when we post thing, even if it's behind a paywall, to me, it's, it's, it becomes public knowledge, even if people, not everyone has access to it right away. Um, obviously we don't want people posting it elsewhere without, especially without giving us credit for it. But, um, I, I, Notre Dame folks certainly can access our content. Um, and like, for instance, if we're writing a story about uh, a player or something like that, a parent could reach out and ask to read it and I'll, I'll send them the text of the story so they could read it. We, we like, uh, or even recruits. Like if I write a story about a recruit, recruit sometimes a recruit will want to, to read it and it'll be behind a paywall. And I'll just email them the text of the story. So we, we share it with those folks. So it's not like it's secretive in any way. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I've never thought about whether or not opposing teams would be trying to look for information um, on that. I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't have any insight of that. I've never really asked an opposing coach or a, a Notre Dame coach if they're looking at other other websites, they might have someone on staff that maybe is monitoring that and see if there's injury news that they can kind of get a, a heads up on. But um, I, so much if like if it's big news, it's not. And even if it's posted on a, on a premium message board, it's going to get out into a public forum in some way that people will be able to to learn about. So it's not necessarily going to stay a secret very long. So I don't know that um, it's it's something that people would concern themselves over. USC coaches buying subscriptions to ND Insider so they know more about uh, about the Irish. Them. If they want to, and we're, we're, we won't discriminate. If they want to pay for subscriptions, they, they certainly can. Last question we have is from at psoli226. If the NCA instituted a new rule requiring kickers and punters to also play starters minutes at a position on offense or defense, what positions would you pick for Jonathan Doerr and Jay Bramblett to take over? Well, Jay Bramblett played quarterback in high school and was really good at it, but you don't want to take Ian Book off the field. If they've right. got to play starters minutes, I'm not taking Ian Book off the field. So I, the answer for me for each of these guys is the same. I want to kind of hide them, and I think the best place I can hide oh, them is wide the receiver. Oh, okay. 
Um, yeah, I, I put I put Jay Bramlett at receiver. Maybe he, he could throw some double passes. I, I, I uh, throw some trick plays into the playbook with him at receiver. Maybe run reverse to him and then he can throw it. Um, but I thought you were going to have the same answer as me when you said you could hide him somewhere. Um, and that was what my thought on Jonathan Doerr. I could put him at safety because Kyle Hamilton will just cover all the ground for him. He doesn't have to worry. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, good offensive coordinators find a way to sure. isolate the other guy. And <laughs> because we saw that when Drew Tranquil was a safety, you know, they were getting him lined up on slot receivers one-on-one and teams were smart about making it difficult for him during the Van Gorder time. And then he moved to Rover and he was awesome. Yeah, I, I know less about Doors athleticism uh, outside of his his kicking ability than I do about Dre Bramble. I'd be curious. I don't know what kind of athlete he is necessarily. He's a big, big kid, and so maybe he could play a, be a, if if he trained and they put him in a position. Maybe he could play somewhere. Um, Door Bramble. Door. Okay, yeah, six three two zero three. But I just think offensive coordinators are too smart a wide receiver you still have two other wide receivers <laughs> even if they're not covering him you know maybe he catches a short he could be a possession receiver <laughs> all right all right I, I'll, I'll let Kyle Hamilton know that you think he can't do the job by himself <laughs> all right that's it for this week's episode of pot of gold if you don't already you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and stitcher leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear We uh, might not get back to a weekly schedule for podcasts quite yet, but you'll start hearing from us more frequently as we go through June and July. So stick with NDInsider.com for all your Notre Dame sports coverage.